the line of reaching to such as these, yet also being careful not to become companions with these people? What if that seems to be a requirement to reach out to such people that we hang out with them? Um, And then Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. He was a companion of the sick that needed healing, and yet there are tons of proverbs about a companion of fools coming to ruin. Could you address the balance and what this might look like today. So there were three, three or four other people. Oh, I've got the mic. Yeah, yeah, get um, yeah, I'd start with First Peter chapter 3. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. That's where it starts. Who's the boss of me? Who's in charge? Who's the king? Now, let me, let's think about missions. We, we would send missionaries to a foreign land, to a hostile land, to a pagan land, to an idolatrous place to go into these hostile territories to take the gospel. Would you send your eight-year-old? Of course not. That would be dangerous. I would never send an eight-year-old into that. They're not ready. So parents, the first thing you have to do is get your children ready, and that's why we put them in, in places and make sure that what they read and what they're taught and who their friends are and where they go to church and all those things. This, the hothouse is a beautiful metaphor, but the hothouse is not the end game. If you've done what you need to do there, there comes a place, if you do any gardening, you know this, you, if you've grown plants indoors and getting them ready from sprouts, you can't just take them out and throw them out in the weather. Uh, it'll either be too hot or too windy or too cold, and they'll perish. You harden them off. You take them out for a few hours, and you bring them back in, and there's a process to get them ready to go out and be fruitful. That's our jobs in raising our children, is to bring them to the place of maturity so that they can stand, so they can go have coffee with an unbelieving friend. Because, number one, they not only know that Jesus is their Lord, that person they're having coffee with already knows that. Uh, They're already uh, in a position to do that work uh, because the boundaries have been clearly identified in themselves. Everybody who knows them knows that about them. And even this unbelieving friend Again, companion, not, this is not the same thing as a person you just hang out with on a Friday night, but these are, this is another context, and wisdom would know the difference, right? If you're hanging out with a group of Christian friends, what are you going to be talking about? What are you going to be doing? What kinds of behavior is going to be going on? What kind of vocabulary? There's nothing to worry about there. If you say, I'm going to go meet with some friends on campus to do some evangelism, uh, and maybe that means one night you go talk about football and you get to be friends and you invest in them, but you have as the end game uh, talking to them about Christ. So I, that's where I would make the key thing is sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. If that's clear, you can safely move out. Thank you. Uh, what about people who are in friendships, they're in have Christian friends, a group of guys or gals that hang out together. You wouldn't say you need different friends because these are bad examples, but at the same time, they're not exhorting one another and pushing one another toward maturity. They're just kind of, you know, floating and stagnant. Um, what, what kind of advice would you give to those situations? Well, one virtue that we don't maybe talk about enough, I think, is courage. Uh, to be a Christian takes courage. And so sometimes the place that that first shows up is among your Christian friends. Everybody's used to hanging out. Maybe they're not doing awful things, but kind of slipping here and there. 
But what if you began to, and I started emphasizing this with our young people, and, and it thrilled my heart to see some of them actually start to do it. And I could talk about maybe how to implement this. Uh, let me back up a little bit. Everything, the first time you do something new, it always feels weird. If you do it, what's the, what's the way to get over that? Just do it. Do it some more, and then it's not new anymore. So when's the last time you prayed with your friends? I'm not talking about at church. I'm not talking about a prayer meeting. I'm talking about you're at your friend's house, or you're with two or three friends, and you're talking about something, a problem. And it, did somebody say, well, let's pray about it. Let's just uh, take a minute, and let's ask the Lord to help us with this. Instead of us just talking about it as though we're going to figure all this out, what if you broke the ice and you began to be a leader and you set the bar there and say, Let's just, we're not, I'm not talking about a long prayer meeting and we're not talking about anything like that, just a short prayer. Lord, would you help us? We need some wisdom here as we talk about how to handle this situation with our other friend that we're concerned about. And, amen. And then you talk about it. So you bring the Lord into cultivating an awareness of his presence with your friends. Same thing in a marriage, right? If husbands and wives do that, then there's an awareness of God's presence that it's not just the two of us. It's not just our family. God's here. And so bringing God into that circle of friends, remember Abraham walked with God. He was the friend of God. So your closest friend should be Christ. Don't leave him out of your other circle of friends. Bring him in. I think that would be one way I would help to move the conversation up a notch or two. Thank you. How do you juxtapose the need for maturity and the call to childlike faith? Christ often referenced children as making up the kingdom of heaven. Are we called to be childlike and mature? Yes. Think about an older person who's, who you think of a mature person, a mature Christian, who also is very able to interact and engage with little children. That's part of the maturity, right? What if they have, I don't like children, I don't want to be around children, children annoy me. Uh, I don't, that's a selfish person, right? That's not a mature person. But that person who can get out on the floor and play with them and interact with them, you know, I want to see, uh, you know, I, I tell pastors all the time, I'll give a, a secret here, I'm, I'm, I'm sure Pastor Sexton does this already, but if you, if you love people's children, they'll love you, even if you're not always that great. Uh, if, you, if they know you love them and you love their children. Um, so you interact with kids, you play with them, you delight in them. They're gifts from God. They're little images of God. Um, you know, one of, the, one of my favorite writers uh, is G.K. Chesterton. Uh, he never had children of his own. He and his wife couldn't have children. But he was, they called him the giant elf. I think he was like 6'4 and over 300 pounds. Uh, and he wore a cape. And he always carried a, a cane that he used like a sword when he was playing around. But he loved children. And he had that ability to remember that part of, that's how, like I read that the quote there uh, from Lewis about, uh, I mean from Chesterton about us growing old but forgetting the joys of delights that a child has. So I think it's both. What is the balance between the focus you should place on friendships with Christians within your congregation and Christians with whom you are friends who are in a different congregation? 
I think that's going to vary with your individual situation a lot. Um, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both. We, we need to be uh, very much engaged, obviously, with our own congregation and be close. This is our family. This is where we are. This is where we spend time with one another on a regular basis. But everybody's circumstances are a bit different. Uh, God has many people in this place. They're his people, which means they're your people. And maybe think of it like this. If you, if you, if you have a, your family, your nuclear family, and your brothers and sisters, you could love them and interact with them. But if you have next-door neighbors and there are kids there, and, and you have, you're to love your neighbor, right? So you go play with them too, and you interact with them. But, but now at your house, you all have the same rules. You all have, you have the same mom and dad. You have the same system. The next-door neighbors might be a little different. You ever have a child come home and say, well, can I do such and such? No. Well, Johnny gets to do it. They let him do it. And what do you say? Well, that's Johnny's family. This is our family. So there will be differences and distinctions between, you know, what you believe versus what a Christian may go to another church believes. There will be differences but that doesn't mean there's not great fellowship and affection and things you do with one another. In fact, I would encourage you to do more of that, uh, not less of that. But those are not those are different circles, and those circles should overlap. I guess is how I would put it. Does the media that is read, listened to, watched fall under the category of companions we keep, and that can drag us down? Yeah, uh, anything, it doesn't just have to be a person. Obviously, anything that's influencing what you think. Ideas have consequences. Uh, Ephesians 4, when it talked about no longer being children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the craftiness and deceitful scheming, that's not just individual hucksters who come along uh, doing the shell game. But those can show up on television or in books or any other. There's all kinds of ways now to communicate. Uh, the nature of man hasn't changed, just our ability to communicate. So the Internet, for example, just becomes this giant megaphone. You spread these things more quickly into larger numbers of people. But uh, here's something to remember, and I'm, this may be, Maybe in one of my talks later, so if I repeat myself, uh, I apologize. But uh, everybody, everybody is trying to sell you something. Now, maybe what they're selling you is great. I, I think what your pastor is selling you is great. He's selling you the Word of God. By selling, I mean he's trying to get you to take it. He's trying to get you to em embrace it. But so is everybody else. And what happens, and again, this may show up later, I'll, I'll just repeat it if we do, because I think it's an important lesson. If you go to the grocery store with your three-year-old and you're going down the cereal aisles, do you think it's an accident that General Mills has tricks are for kids placed at eye level for a three-year-old? Okay? General Mills knows what they're doing. You know what they're doing. I hope you do. Does the three-year-old know what they're doing? He's got the box in the basket ready to go, check out. Tricks are for kids, and there's a toy inside, and it's covered in sugar. What's not to like? Okay, What's General Mills want? Your money. And if you're doing your job, you're going to exercise some controls over that. Maybe you have an occasion where you indulge them, but your job is to 
recognize that General Mills is trying to sell them something. You go to the next aisle, and you don't realize that some other company is trying to sell you something, and you put it in the basket uh, without thinking about it. And I'm just using that as an illustration, but that's true of whatever you're watching on TV. Sometimes I think the worst movies are Disney movies. Because we all assume, or a lot of people assume, well, these are family-friendly until you analyze what it is they're teaching and what they're saying about the Christian faith. That God is, at, at best, irrelevant, and oftentimes a lot worse than that. So we could go on. But yes, all those things are, are a form of companions. Maybe it's a little different issue. There's certainly influences that we should be aware of and thoughtful about. Yes. Thank you. That's good. Okay, we've got a few minutes left, so this might be our last one. Um, The question goes like this. In my experience, those who use the phrase stand on our shoulders and go higher and seek to save their children from a particular set of sins or temptations expect then that their children won't have to face difficulty or temptation or sin. How do we apply this idea while recognizing that even individuals raised in faithful families in the church are still going to face difficulty and need sanctification? I'd say two things. All, almost all metaphors and analogies break down. So the, the, the analogy of standing on the shoulders of the previous generation is very limited in what it's saying, and it can mean different things. What it doesn't mean is that if we do everything right, that our kids don't have to study or think or go through some of the things that we went through. I think, I think there are a lot of disappointed idealistic parents who kind of in their early days, had these ideals and thought, you know, if we get all the, the boxes checked, uh, we're going to, at the end of this conveyor belt, we're going to produce kids who, who uh, then don't have to go through all these struggles we went through. Now, hopefully, here's, what, here's the different picture of what I'm getting at. But if you've been through a lot of those things, you should know better how to equip them and prepare them so that when they do face those challenges, they have more tools in their toolbox, if I change metaphors or pictures, and that those tools are sharp so that when those tests and trials come, they're equipped. That's what the church is to do, is to equip the saints for service. We don't know what's coming. We don't know how it's going to show up. It'll, it'll come in a different form than it came for you anyway. But if you've given them the equipment and the tools, they're better equipped. They have a firmer foundation. I'm going to mix a bunch of metaphors here. Uh, they're in, in, in. They're healthier. They're stronger. They're in a better place, starting place. So if you've taught them about child rearing, both by example and by instruction, then when they have children, they're not starting at ground zero, having to run out and buy ten books and read them real quick and figure out how to raise kids, or they're not just shooting from the hip. They have a foundation. They've seen it. They've heard it. They've been in a community where they've seen it happen. They've seen the failures. They've seen the successes. They should be starting at a place better than you started. That's what I mean by standing on the shoulders before. Not, and and R.L. Dabney talks about this. Everybody uh, has to make things their own. So I, I'm, this is common. I'm I, families. I've been at my church 18 years, so they're young people who've grown up. I've known them almost some of them since they were born. But here they come, they're in college, or they're now in a relationship, and I get the phone call, Pastor, what do we believe about baptism? I baptized you, you know, when you 
born, and, and I'm glad they're calling. But all of a sudden, they've met somebody, a friend at school who's asking them questions, and they haven't thought about it. They've just grown up in it. It's, it's, it's background to them. It's just in there. And now, all of a sudden, it has to become theirs. What, what can I read? What can I do? I've got some questions. Can I meet with you? That's great. So in that sense, even though we've given them a lot and it's in there, it's, uh, it's like ragu, it's in there. It's just some of everything. Now there's a point where God's going to make it theirs, going to test them to see if they will own it. So the test has to come. Uh, it doesn't just automatically happen. Thank you very much. I think we're out of time. I got the two-minute warning about two minutes ago. So rather than, I got the zero-minute warning. Okay. So rather than go over, we'll just stop there. Thank you. Thank you.